his mind. And here is your host, Gary Cacciolio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson. She's the author of The Reluctant Messenger and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. You can find Ginger at TarotByGinger.com. And she is a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And I highly recommend her if you're looking to make any type of major decision in your life or just want to check it out for fun. Uh, definitely, the more information you have, the better off you are. So you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Catherine Allman. And she has written quite a few books. But the ones that got my attention were Tantric Dating, Tantric Mating, and Tantric Relating. And, I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on <laughs> sure thanks for having me so you know one i guess we'll start off like what is tantric you know like like my idea of tantric is originally anyway was the karma sutra and just a bunch of wild bizarre sex positions it was like that <laughs> a pictorial book of sex positions you know it was like all i knew about it. i didn't know about the spiritual side i didn't know about the energy um, or any of that. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. Uh, obviously, the weird pretzel positions is the part that gets the most <laughs> press. <laughs> um, Tantra is, uh, nobody's really sure where it comes from. I've been doing a lot of reading lately on the origins of it, and it mm-hmm. seems to come from India and Tibet, and, and uh, there's all kinds of wonderful stories about yogis meditating in graveyards and all these kinds of things. But modern day Tantra is really what uh, Osho, who's a uh, Tantra spiritual master, describes it as basically there's two kinds of spiritual paths. There's the kind that most of us grew up in, which is like, this is holy and this isn't. This is sacred and this isn't. And in Tantra is the worldview that everything's sacred. Mm-hmm. Everything in this moment. Everything, our bodies, our desires, what we want, and then included in this is sex is sacred. And I don't know about you, but I did not grow up in a spiritual path that thought sex was sacred. I definitely did not. No, I was shamed. Exactly. Most of us were. And if you want to get to heaven, which is in the future, you better not have desires. You better not have sex unless you're married with the lights mm-hmm. out. And, uh, you know, you're, yeah, it's shameful. Mm-hmm. And so Tantra said, none of this is shameful, but the anti, uh, anti-pleasure people did not like the fact that tantricists were saying that sex is sacred along with everything else. So that's the part that started getting the most attention. Mm-hmm. Because to say that sex is not bad or nasty or uh, to be enjoyed, that needs to be shut down by those kind of anti-pleasure people. 
Hmm. So I got to be the reputation of, um, uh, it, it, also, since it holds sex as sacred, mm-hmm. it's done in a different way than regular conventional sex. And the reputation that Tantra has great sex is true. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different. It's quite a bit different than uh, conventional sex that we see that most everybody's involved in. And that became like tantric secrets. And uh, they are kind of secrets until you learn about them and they can really help everyone's life. Wow. It's interesting, you know. Um, you know, like, like my first question off of that would be like, why would people not want people to have <laughs> sex for fun? I've never understood that. Never. Got I don't know. That. I don't know. When I watch uh, television and movies and uh, look at the social media, I see that sex is not taboo anymore unless it is loving spiritual sex. That's really taboo now. So you can have all kinds of. Um, Violent sex on movies and TV. Mm-hmm. We saw some movie the other night where it's, it's happened so much we don't even think about it. Some lovely young woman was hacked to bits and tortured for entertainment's sake, and she was in a sexual position. It's like that kind of sex is okay, but loving a sex that we might consider as spiritual is still taboo. So I think it has to do a lot with the uh the uh, religious upbringing a lot of us had and this whole sort of worldview that we're trying to get to heaven, which exists in the future, and it's not now. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a whole movement now of people being born and maturing and evolving who are saying, this could be paradise right now, right here. Sure. I want to live be. in paradise now. Mm-hmm. Let's create that now. Let's not wait till we die. So this would be considered a tantric attitude of let's create heaven on earth, let's create loving relationships, let's create, let's invite spirituality into our lives in a, a loving way, not in a way that is judgmental of other people and waiting until we get to heaven. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this, I don't think, is the original intent of these religions, but certainly mm-hmm. we all see that it's, in many cases, has evolved that way. Right. Yeah. You know, I guess like like. One of the differences, I suppose, with tantric and like just like regular sex, one is intention. If I if I understand it correctly, like part like someone's about uh, you have an intention, building up energy more, you know, to to a certain point, and then you release that energy to sort of send it to that intention. Mm. Is that kind of what it is? That's kind of sex magic. It's um, related. I think tantric sex is really more about the connection between you and the other person. Mm-hmm. And facilitating that connection. So regular sex is like, let's each get to an orgasm. And we're like, mm, orgasm might get in the way of us continuing to, com- uh, continuing to relate together. Okay. Pleasuring each other, being together. We're not just trying to get to this place and stop. We're trying to continue this communion that we're creating between us. Mm. That so in beautiful. sex magic, they are trying to take the, uh, orgasm and focus it on, higher consciousness uh-huh. or money or career success or more love, something like that. And some people would call that under the umbrella of Tantra. But I think Tantra in its really spiritual sense is more about if if, if you're making love with your partner, how do you increase the intimacy, mm-hmm. the love, and the sense of this being a divine act instead of a naughty one? Hmm. And how do people... How do people do that? You know, sometimes I like, and I've been in relationships like this where it's just hard to talk, even talk about. 
You know, it was like there's this routine and that it's not even talked about. Like how how do people move from something like that to where they're just experiencing each other? Well, the first thing that I uh, suggest is people slow way down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the average sex act in uh, the world is supposed to be 3.5 minutes. Ooh, I don't know where they get these statistics. That's really because, <laughs> Well, that's what we would call reproductive sex. That's <laughs> like the purpose to make a baby and just to get off. And probably the woman doesn't. Then in the educated parts of the world, it's about 20 minutes. There's nothing wrong with 20-minute sex. Mm -hmm. But if you want to expand that and go for maybe an hour, or tantric lovers can go for six or seven hours, but let's just say you wanted to start by setting a time to maybe pleasure each other and make love for a full hour. So a lot of times we'll do this on vacation. You know, we'll make that time. Okay, we'll go, go to the beach somewhere and make love all day. But maybe this could be a practice that you set aside some time more frequently than that to just be together and slow down. Mm-hmm. Tantric lovers take their time. And we want to be able to increase intimacy. One of the um, exercises we do is we just gaze in each other's eyes. That's hard to do. It's something that I've always actually enjoyed. Yeah. Looking in somebody else's eyes. But some, a lot of people don't like it. It kind of freaks them out. Well, it's really intimate. And so we do it in my workshops for like, uh, in my tantric dating workshops, we do it for a minute. And some people can't, can't do that, which is uh, cute. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at the ashram, we used to do it 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And people would just be crying from the sheer beauty of looking into another person's soul. You know, it's like the outside drops away and you see the the heart inside, you see the divine person, and you just can't help but fall in love with people when you really look in their eyes. Wow. So that's a tantric practice of really sitting and seeing, can we hold each other's gaze? I used to have some of my students try to do it for two minutes. They just couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) They just couldn't do it. And uh, I said, well, you know, you have to be able to just sit and not have to do anything with your lover. If you want to start making love in a more conscious way, you don't have to be doing, 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 doing all the time. We can just be together in a tantric fashion of receiving, just being together and Mm -hmm. not having to do all these things we've been taught to turn each other on. We can do those things, but we don't have to. We can also just relax in each other's presence. It kind of takes some of the stress out of it. It takes a lot of stress out. So just imagine sex without stress. You know, sex for most people is actually very stressful because they're trying to um, trying to have an orgasm or not orgasm or orgasm together. Or is what I'm doing the right touch or is this not the right touch? Uh, everybody's trying to really uh, let the, have the other person think that they're really good in bed. This mm-hmm. is all very stressful for people. Yeah. So we watch porn or we watch instructional videos trying to learn sex techniques and those things can be helpful, but then sex becomes very mental. We're thinking while we're making love, we're thinking, should I do this touch? Should I do this? Do they like this? And sex becomes all in the head instead of in the body. Hmm. So Tantra is about the body is sacred. So I'm going to learn. It's actually a discipline. I'm going to start learning how to be more in my body. And then make love from that place instead of from my mind. 
Most of our consciousness is cut off right here at the head because we're taught in, to look. You know, we spend all our time looking at social media, looking at screens, looking, checking, judging. Uh, even when we're looking for love, we're looking and swiping and judging, which is not a very loving attitude if you think about it. <laughs> and then that, <laughs> that then, um, translates into when we make love, we're just still in this frozen in this mode of looking, seeing, judging, thinking, instead of being able to relax, be present, look in each other's eyes and feel what it's like to be with that person instead of try to come real quickly. Is tantric for everybody? Like in every, you know, is this something that, that everybody can do? I mean, obviously everybody can do it if they want to. But I mean, I, I guess think, there's. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think everybody's attracted to it. I mean, everybody's attracted to the idea of tantra. Uh-huh. It sounds cool. It sounds like really good sex. But the practice of it, I think, is not for everybody. It's more going to actually probably be more attractive to people who are already meditators. Because mm. it's really taking a meditative approach to sex, which is being mindful in the present, breathing slowly, calming yourself down. All the kind of techniques that you learn in uh, meditation, practicing any form of meditation, would help you be a tantric lover also. So how does, like, your, your book series starts out with dating. I cannot imagine going on a date and bringing up tantric. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be the best idea. <laughs> because you're going to scare her or him away. Right. Um so the way I came up with that was I had lived in this ashram, a Tantra ashram in India for a year. And the way that uh, people met there was very different than here in the West. And I came back here and I had met men I was involved with there. And uh, it was very different because everybody was friends first. And then you would see after you were friends, if a sexual relationship seemed like a good idea. It was the opposite of here, because as we all know here, the friend zone is considered death. You don't want to be <laughs> yes. in the friend zone, right? It's like, she put me in the friend zone. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. But in Tantra, we're like, why would you want to have sex with somebody you're not friends with? That sounds cold and and uh, like you'd have to perform for them or something. Why wouldn't you want it to be a friendly sort of encounter? So I had learned, I've been studying Tantra there and meeting uh, people to be involved with in this sort of tantric way. And when I came back here and I found myself single a while later, I married a guy I met at the ashram and then we broke up and I came back and I was like, I don't really understand how to put that in practice with the way we're dating here in the conventional world. I don't understand it. So I started learning how to date here. I went on five online dating sites. This whole story is in my book, Tantric Dating. I went on five online dating sites and I uh, went on about 20 meetups to just go out and meet people. And I hired a coach, a dating coach, and I went back to therapy and I just said, I'm going to really hack this. I'm going to get to the bottom of this because I'd had a lot of relationships in my life, none of them very good. And I just decided I'm going to hack this. So I started trying to put together being a spiritual person with dating. And the first thing I realized is We can't find love being unloving. And the conventional dating world is asking us to meet other people in an unloving way. 
So the first thing you're supposed to do is throw them out if they're not good looking enough. Mm-hmm. In a very sort of you mean nothing to me matter. And swiping, yeah. Yeah, swipe, 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 swipe. So it first all off starts off with a judgmental negative sort of point of view. And then we learn to be very, very picky on age, financial status, all these things that everyone encourages us to be very picky about. And it's very unloving. It turns us into shoppers. We're shopping for a mate instead of learning how to cultivate ourselves as lovers. So I thought, I'm going to use the dating process. This is what I call tantric dating. I'm going to use the uh, dating process to become a more loving person instead of a less loving person. Because what I found out is hanging out in that kind of dating environment was making me very judgmental of people, uh, encouraging me to be more so and encouraging me to throw people away for no reason and so on. And what I had noticed at the tantric ashram is if you really look in someone's eyes, you can fall in love with anybody. You can mm-hmm. fall in love with anybody if you really look deeply in their eyes. That doesn't mean they're going to be the best mate for you, but it does mean that we can, we're capable of falling in love with anyone if we really see their soul, if we really connect. So I want to try to date from that point of view. So I would set myself up. I called it tantric dating because tantric dating means everything is sacred. Mm-hmm. Everyone is sacred. And I, they didn't even have to know I was doing it. They never did. I would just sit there and try to enjoy them on a, you know, 50, 45 to 50 minute hour long coffee date or have to go have a drink, whatever. And I would just try to notice how unloving I was being. And can I open to this person more and just find them a delightful person? Instead of the conventional dating world, which is let me see what's wrong with this person so I can get rid of them as fast as possible. And I started really getting that the reason we aren't finding partners, the reason uh, relationships aren't working is because we're going about it in totally the wrong way. We're becoming increasingly less loving and you can't find love if you're not loving. Mm. I would say the two things that I ran into when I was single and dating, especially on the sites, one is that when I would look at women's profiles and see what they were looking for, I was like, there's no way I could live up to that standard. Like, <laughs> you know, everybody wanted, I don't know, the perfect guy. And, um, and then the other thing was that, uh, a lot of them were married still. Oh. <laughs> it was terrible. It was really bad. <laughs> I think that's awful, personally. I met a couple guys that were uh, married and they were out dating. And I just, I don't know. I think that's really uh, kind of sociopathic, mm-hmm. <laughs> personally. Um, yeah, this looking for this perfect guy who meets this criteria that everyone else is looking for. Tall, dark, and handsome, and rich, and, you know, and then guys are looking, guys are taught to look for only women who look a certain way, and it's like, what's, and I realize, I'm not that person, so nobody's looking for me. Yeah. Nobody's looking for me, and what am I doing looking for that person? And um, so I started uh, deciding that I wasn't going to decide. I was just going to uh, 
work on myself to develop myself as a more loving person through the dating process and see what happened. Instead of instantly deciding yes or no, I was just going to be like, I'm going to meet and still not decide yes or no. Just see how open I can be to this human being. Mm -hmm. This is very radical. It sounds so simple, but it's not. It's super radical (laughs) to sit in another person's, a stranger's presence and just go, I'm open. Who are you? I'm not going to judge. I'm going to do my best to not judge you. I've been taught to be very harshly judgmental of you, and I'm going to try to put that aside. And that I call tantric dating because you're trying to be, this person is perfect in this moment. Mm -hmm. They may not be perfect for me to have a one-to-one relationship with, but I'm going to attempt to see their perfection in this moment. That's a tantric point of view. So we're taking the judgment out of it and just being present. Trying to be, yes. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's not easy. Oh, it's not easy even when I'm by myself. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's why meditation is so hard. Exactly. So in a way, it's a meditation with your eyes open with another person there of, can I watch my judgments and just allow this person to have a good time? Wow. And then at the end, I would say, thank you. I enjoyed meeting you. I don't think we're going to see each other again, but I enjoyed meeting you. And it was true. Hmm. It was true. I did enjoy meeting this person because I let them not have to be the perfect guy to meet them. And I felt like I developed myself through this process so, because I was, I was as mixed up as everyone else. I was thinking, I can't find anybody. I live in Los Angeles. Maybe Los Angeles is the problem. There's 10 million people here. How can I not find a person in a city of 10 million? But I'll hear other people say this too. They're like, there's nobody in Los Angeles. I'm like, what's wrong with us that we it's can't strange, find It's a- <laughs> right? Like there's so many people out there looking for the same thing, but it's like they can't find, we can't find each other. Like, How's that happen? I, mean, I think that happens because we're, we're going about it in an unloving way. Hmm. We're taught to shop instead of be loving. So we can't find love because we're not being loving. So all I could see is who wasn't perfect. And actually, everybody's perfect in a tantric point of view. Hmm. Everybody's perfect. And I could see that when I was at the ashram and we were doing exercises and stuff. I could, I could fall in love with, fall in love with people who weren't perfect on the outside. I could see their perfection, just who they are. Like spirit made them that way. And I don't need to be the judgment that there's something wrong with them. Hmm. And there isn't anything wrong with them. It's just that I've been taught that they're not, that there's something wrong with them. So through this process, I, uh, started developing myself more and more to be a more loving person. I thought I was loving, but I really was only a half loving person. You know, I had friends and I had a cat and I had, I had uh, my family and so on. I thought I'm a loving person, but I realized that the men I was attracting were really only about half loving. And that said something about me. That said something about me. That's why I was attracting half loving men or men who didn't want to commit. It's because I was, going about dating in a half-loving way. So through this process, I feel like I raised my vibration to be a more loving person. I attracted my perfect partner. And if he'd been on the dating sites, I never would have picked him because he smoked occasionally. And I would have been like, no smokers, no this, no that, you know. And 
And uh, he's since quit smoking, but I wouldn't have even met him if I had had my judgmental glasses on that we're taught to have when we go about the dating process. Wow. Two things that, that come to mind. One is, um, it's, it's definitely a great, sounds like a, a great way to relate to people, not just in dating, but just in everyday life with all relationships. When we're meeting people to kind of come at the, approach it from, um, you know, either a place of, of love and openness or at the very least neutrality. You know, some people have said that about this book, which, by the way, one uh, book authority named it one of the top 100 dating books of all time, which surprised me. A girlfriend called me up, said, did you know that? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, some people who are not single have said that they, this is a book for everybody because it's a tantric way of meeting people which doesn't mean sex. It means you're perfect. I'm perfect. This moment is perfect. How can I get out of my own way and get these judgmental blinders off so I can see how you're perfect? And that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to, uh, you're perfect for a long-term relationship might, but if I keep these blinders on, I won't be able to see that. I won't be able to see it. And how does that carry over into the next book about mating? Like, when I saw the mating, I said, oh, it just has to be, you know, sexual positions for conception. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to write that. There's going to be two more in this series. There's one of them called Tantric Lovemaking, which actually isn't going to have anything about positions either. There's mm -hmm. this guy that I know who wrote a book on Tantra, and he said he revised it and put in positions. Nobody bought it at first, but then he put in positions, and then it became a bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> Tantric mating, I'm talking about coming um, uh, to a relationship in the same way, which is that I want to focus on what's perfect about my partner, and I want us to be able to, since everything's perfect, we want to try to create a relationship. This is tantric relating and mating, where we can talk about anything and everything, because anything we don't talk about is going to show up in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So everybody who's ever been in a couple knows that there's those things you don't talk about that you're still mad about. So they were rude to you at breakfast because they were grumpy and you're still kind of in a snit about it. And maybe you have a right to be, but it hasn't been talked out. And maybe there was that time you're still mad about when uh, they insulted your mother a year ago and you're still kind of, every time the topic of your mother comes up, you're like kind of still mad. And, but you don't talk about it because you don't want to rock the boat. And all of these things eventually show up in the bedroom or they show up in the relationship as little points of, I don't, I don't like you. I don't want to be close to you. I don't feel like making love. I don't, not tonight. I don't, I don't really want to connect. So when we set up a tantric relationship, we would say, Everything's perfect. Everything we can talk about. Do we want to have that kind of relationship where we can talk about everything? Do we want to have a relationship where we're going to be really close? Or do we not want to? Because conventional relationships, there's many things that you're told not to talk about or not to bring up. For men, it's usually their feelings. You're not supposed to talk about their feelings. And for women, or, or their insecurities, or their vulnerabilities, and women are supposed to be pleasing all the time. I had a girlfriend once, she said, I tell every man I've ever slept with, he's the best I've ever had. I said, why would you do that? 
She says, I want them to like me. I said, that's not fair to those guys. She says, well, I just want them to like me. So women are taught to not tell the truth in order to be liked. And men are told not to tell the truth in order to seem macho and, you know, uh, sexy that way, the strong, silent type. This is changing a little bit for some of us. But in Tantra, we would say everything's sacred. So put it out on the table and learn how to communicate so that you can be really close and honest because anywhere you're not close and honest is going to show up as not lack of intimacy, lack of wanting to get closer, and sex that isn't very compelling. So we're trying to build intimacy where we have such a deep friendship and such a deep sexual friendship that I'm safe to be any way I am with you and you're safe. I welcome any way that you are with me. With exceptions, we're not going to approve of either of us hitting each other or insulting each other, this type of thing. But we're we're going to build a sacred tantric relationship where you're safe enough to be yourself with me and I'm sa- and I feel safe enough to be with you. Safety in the se- ta- uh, Tantra talks about the seven chakras. Some people that word just, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, I know. <laughs> the, but the root chakra is all about safety. So in tantric mating, we talk about the first thing you want to establish with your partner to have a good relationship and a good sex life because they really go together is, and this would be actually non-sexual relationships too, you want to establish safety. So obviously people who are new in relationships need to establish safety and trust with each other. But sometimes people who've been together for 25 years are going through a period where they don't feel safe with each other. I was married to a guy for four years and I never felt safe with him. So this can be considered normal. This can be considered normal because we aren't taught that Number one basic thing in your in your relationship is to establish a sense of safety. You're safe with me. I want to be completely safe with you. How could how could I create a situation you could feel more safe with me? One of the first things that uh, Greg and I did was uh, I told him. Uh, I, first of all, when when we started to be uh, when we wanted to be exclusive, I got rid of all the other guys on my phone, got rid of their texts, got rid of their numbers, and then I said. Um, you have full access to my phone if you want it. There's nothing on there that you uh, would be surprised to find. There's not going to ever be, but you have full access. I don't think he's ever used it, but just setting that situation, and he said the same to me. So it's like just setting that safety that I'm not going to be screwing around. I'm not going to be flirting. There's not going to be anything you would worry about. Create That's one example of a way to make a completely safe relationship. I'm not going to be, you know, you can look at my email if you want. I'm not hiding anything. And in previous relationships, I had had stuff. I I like to flirt. I was a big flirt. <laughs> so I even in uh, that unsafe relationship, I talked about I'd be flirting with other guys. And, and it made a very unsafe relationship. I'm not saying it was just him. It was me, too. We weren't safe with each other. So this is an example of how to be safe. Another way to build safety in a relationship is to say, I'm sorry. I screwed up. I'm sorry. You know, I grew up with a hypercritical father and sometimes I fall into a mode if I'm not being conscious of being a little bit critical and I really don't want to be that person. So 
if I fall into that old pattern, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to be that person. So we're both establishing safety by taking responsibility and saying, I want you to be safe with me. I want to build a, a situation of safety and trust. This builds a wonderful foundation for sex where you can feel safe that you're not going to be laughed at. You can go wild if you want. You can gain five pounds. The other person's not going to throw you out or get a few wrinkles and they're not going to throw you out. You know, you could just be safe. So this in Tantra, we would say, is building a relationship with the knowledge we have of the chakras. I think that's tough, too, for people to feel safe. I think, you know, we're all used to having our guard up all the time, looking for threats. I think you're absolutely right. And so I think that's what I try to share in my books is, especially in Tantric mating, is that that's the basis for everything. That if you don't have safety with a partner, you don't have anything. That's how we would see it in, in, uh, in Tantra with the, the chakras. The second chakra has to do with emotions and power. And we can talk a little bit about those. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have safety with the other person, none of the rest of the stuff's going to matter because if I share my feelings with you and I'm afraid you're going to laugh at me, which goes on a lot, it's called sarcasm or just teasing then I'm not going to feel safe to share uh, myself with you. I'm just going to be very guarded and and uh, not want to share a lot of stuff. And if we really want deep intimacy and the best sex possible, we want to be able to know that I can share anything. I can be anything. I can let go. I really let go and be myself. And that makes wonderful sex when people can really let go and just let the energy flow. Hmm. Energy flows freely because I'm safe to be myself with you. So once we once you get past that stage, I guess that's when we start the relating phase where I don't know, the honeymoon seems to be over. Well, our honeymoon isn't <laughs> over and we've been together five and a half years, so <laughs> That's great. How, how, do, how, how do you keep that from not happening? You know, just stay in that in that phase of, of the honeymoon. Yeah. Well, part of it is that we, um, and these are some of the things I talk about in Tantric Relating. I did say we say, I'm sorry, a lot. We say thank you a lot. I just read an article last week. It was from the straight press that said that uh, some psychologists did a study that uh, couples that say thank you a lot. I'm like, yes, I should have wrote, written that article. Because we just thank each other all day long for little things, like thanks for taking out the trash, or thanks for going on a walk with me, or thanks for, builds this culture of That's appreciation. Important. Yes. Yeah, because a lot of An times it feel unimportant in a relationship easily. Absolutely, many, many, many people their complaint is they don't feel acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So we're like, I, I want him to feel totally acknowledged. I'm not faking it. I'm really thankful for all these things because I've been in bad relationships where <laughs> people didn't act great. So I'm really thanking all day long, and. We made an agreement. This is part of our safety, but this would be the throat chakra, which is like. We made an agreement at the beginning. My husband actually brought it up. He, he had been in relationships before where you didn't talk things out. You just sh sh brushed, sh how do you say that? Swept it under the rug. Yes. And he's like, I want to talk about everything. I'm like, you do? Because that's usually, you know, the stereotypes, that's the woman. But it's like he knew that that had ruined uh, his previous relationship. So 
we made this agreement that we would talk about everything. Neither of us is going to go, are you still bringing that up? We're going to go, thanks for bringing that up so we can clear it. So we have an agreement to talk about everything. Mm-hmm. What happens when it's the same thing that just keeps coming up over and over again? Then we, when we have an agreement that we'll talk about it until it's done. Wow. So you, you are free to bring something up, even if it's 25 times, even if it's a year later. Because we could see that those things, if they don't ever get resolved, they show up in the bedroom and they show up in not really in love with you anymore. Hmm. So if you, so that's in tantric relating is that you, if you make this agreement that we're going to, I know you're safe with me, that I'll talk with you about everything until it's done. We can keep that space clear and not full of a bunch of old rubbish that we're still holding on to from the past because we still have hurt feelings or we still feel we weren't treated right or whatever. So we make an agreement, one, that you can talk, bring up anything. That means sometimes that doesn't feel good because that means you can bring up the fact that I was grumpy this morning. Okay, I really don't want to hear that, but thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) And then number two, we'll talk about something till it's done. So we had that early on where we had a, uh, in the first couple of months we were dating, we had a, a major kind of hiccup where we might have not gone forward. We talked it through. And then a year later, I said, can I bring something up? He goes, what? Sure. Yes, you can. Please do. I said, I still have a little bit of heat on that issue from a year ago. Is that okay? And we talked it through it again till it was done. Now that's our agreement. So I would suggest that people not just start doing that unless they have an agreement with their partner to do it. But it really keeps things fresh and clean with you without accumulating a lot of new baggage. And then in the tantric sense, every moment is fresh. What if you're afraid to bring something out because it might cause a fight? Then you say that. I'd like to bring something up, but I'm afraid to because I'm afraid it might cause a fight. Am I safe to bring it up or would you prefer that I don't? I always ask if it's a good time, for one thing. I don't ever just bring something on. I say, is this a good time to bring something up that might be a little hard to talk about? And he'll either say yes or no. Mm-hmm. But if you want the kind of relationship where you don't have that stuff festering inside, then you feel like, I want to have an agreement with my partner that we will bring up stuff, even if it's going to cause a fight. So even in this type of relationship, people still will have fights? We don't really have fights anymore. We have little uh, hiccups now and then. But we, since we both want to resolve everything, mm-hmm. we, we're much less likely to get in a fight because a fight is often when people don't really want to resolve things. They want to just, they don't know how, or they haven't made that sort of agreement that that's what they want in a relationship. Most relationships are stuck in the power stage, which is, you know, if you know the chakra system, the mm-hmm. power center is right here. Yeah. It's right there in your belly, right below where your ribs come together. And most relationships are still stuck in the power stage, which is I'm right and you're wrong. Or here's the ways you're wrong. And here's the ways I'm right. And um, people... Uh, People need to work on resolving their own power inside themselves so they don't have to be powerful over other people. 
So we see in, in uh, tantric mating, we see that a person is working on themselves to develop all these centers in themselves so they can bring it to the relationship. So does that mean you have to love yourself first? Well. Because there's a whole lot of that, too, in a dating <laughs> scene. Is like you, you go out with somebody on a couple of dates, and they're like, no, you know what, no, I'm, I'm just going to practice self-love for a while. I think self-love often can turn into narcissism. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just working on yourself all the time. I don't think that teaches you how to be a loving person. So I think... I think if you had to love yourself first, I don't think anybody would be in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can learn to love yourself by being in a relationship. I learned a lot about myself, certainly, from being in a relationship because a lot of the things are reflected back at me that I'm not going to notice when I'm just home by myself with my dog. Exactly. I think we learn to be loving by being in a relationship. I so, do too. Yeah. And I think people who sit alone... And try to learn to love themselves often are just uh, increasing their own narcissism and their own judgmentalness that nobody's good enough for me. I love myself and nobody's good enough for me. Not true of everybody. I could see those qualities in myself when I was single. Mm-hmm. So I, that's one reason I decided I'm going to work on myself by being with other people in relationship. And I think being in this marriage, this very loving marriage, has made me love myself more than I ever have. That's awesome. I didn't want to sit around and wait to start love. You know, if I was going to wait to love myself to get in a relationship, I would be 102. <laughs> <laughs> if that. <laughs> me, me too, because like I still, I, you know, and I, and I know just from meditating and practicing mindfulness that like 90% of my thoughts are, are, are still negative self, self-talk. So if, right? I'm, if I'm going to wait for that 90% of, of, of my thinking to go away, I'm going to be waiting multiple lifetimes. Exactly, 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 and be lonely in the meantime. So I think when we um, see ourselves doing loving things towards other people, that increases our self-love. You know, you say hello to a stranger, you feel better about yourself. You, uh, you know, uh, take some cookies over to your neighbor or uh, spend the time having tea with someone who's maybe not the most beautiful person in the world. You would have swiped left on them on the dating app. Mm-hmm. Instead, you decided to meet them for tea and you find out they're a really fascinating person. This increases your sense of self-love because you're being a loving person. You're not being all haughty and high and mighty and swiping left because nobody's good enough for you. Nobody in Los Angeles is good enough for me. I have to make fun of myself how I used to be because <laughs> this is just so silly that you can't find anyone in Los Angeles, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> How much of that you think is taught to us through the media, movies, giving us expectations? Is that where you think it comes from, or do you think it comes more from our upbringing, upbringing and parents and stuff like that? I think it's 100% from the advertising industry because uh, if they make unreal, unreasonable expectations for us, we'll all be unhappy and we'll buy more stuff. They've actually proven... And unhappy people buy more stuff. So if they keep us unhappy and unloved and striving and trying to buy, I mean, the dating industry is huge, huge amounts of money on people trying to look better and go to expensive, cool places and show off. And 
I mean, a lot of it's fun, but it's how much is it driven by not loving yourself and not loving other people? So I think so, you know, there's, there's actual studies that social media has, I think there was a big stink of, there was a few stink a few years ago about they had proven that Instagram was hurting young women's self-esteem yeah, and making, that. causing even more by uh, eating disorders. And Instagram was sort of like, oh, well, that's too bad. But they're actually proving that, you know, this relentless idea that you're, uh, that you're swipeable is hurting people. And yet that's all we know. I'm trying to, in my own small way here, offer a little book that says, hey, there's an alternative. <laughs> do, do, do you think people should just go back and, and start meeting and dating the old fashioned way? Like where you just meet people at a social event? That's what I did. I started going to meetup.com. That's actually where I met my husband. It wasn't a super normal event. It was a Tantra event, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but whatever you're interested in, I think, I think it's all good. I mean, I certainly practice dating a lot on the apps, but I, I think going to meetups and things you're interested in and just trying to meet other human beings is great because you practice becoming a more loving person in general. You're more likely to see your lover when they show up and not be judging them by, like I said, if I'd seen my husband on the dating, he's very handsome, but if I had seen him, I still would have swiped left because he smoked occasionally. So I think that. in person, you're more likely to be as, uh, as rude as you are on the app. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things too is, is, and I don't know how people get, how we was just this, like, when when you're on the apps and stuff, one you're making yourself, you're boasting yourself up to look good to impress. Exactly, and it's, and it's the same way when you're dating too, because when you're dating, you're still on your best behavior, you know. And then I guess at some point, the bet your best behavior kind of dwindles down, dwindles down <laughs> until you're like actually yourself. Exactly, you know. And then you really don't know if the other person is going to actually like you. <laughs> For yourself and the person that they were thought they were dating. It's weird, but we all put up this weird facade when we first meet other people. Well, I kind of think of it like, uh, um, you know, in corporate life, mm-hmm. when you, uh, you're on probation for the first 90 days. It's good. <laughs> so, you know, you really put your act on, you get hired, and then they figure it's going to take 90 days to really figure out who this person is. And then they let you know at 30 days if it's a go or not. And, Oh, I'm sorry, at 90 days. So I think that's a good rule of thumb for dating is it's like enjoy this person, but don't make any decision because people can't really keep up a facade for 90 days. Hmm. So I think that people often make quick judgments. They go, oh, this person looks looks like my perfect love, so I'm going to just jump right in there and be with them. It's like I think that's kind of that's where a lot of heartbreak comes from is there is this sort of 90 days. In astrology, it would be like, a square, a first square. And then you'd be like, oh, here's their true self. They call it, also call it the other shoe dropping. Here's their true self. Now I can decide if I want to be exclusive with them or not. And you can continue to date other people in the meantime that will keep you from going crazy about someone who's essentially a stranger. Hmm. I, I was never good at dating multiple people at one time. Really? It is a skill. Yeah, I could never... I don't know. Like, I just couldn't do it. Can't we do it? I've always been like just one person at a time. I could never juggle. I don't know. I just felt like 
I'd feel guilty. I, I, wouldn't wanna, I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. You know? I understand that. I just uh, didn't make any promises or just was uh, trying to, as I said, my intention in mm-hmm. dating was to establish friendships and see who I felt comfortable and safe with and who uh, I would feel like, I think the criteria was, I tried to get away from it's all about looks to who would I feel most comfortable hanging out on the couch with, going to Trader Joe's with, who would I feel com- most comfortable like my best friend and also uh, be sexually attracted to. Because I didn't want this sort of, I had fallen so many times for this, oh my God, you're the perfect one. I have all this projection on you that you're this perfect fantasy. And then I get my heart broken. So I wanted to do it a different way. I didn't want to just get stuck on one guy before I knew who he was. And it takes at least 90 days to get to know somebody. You think about it when you're making friends like of the same sex. You know, you meet somebody at a networking event or something and you think they're cool. You don't like immediately start calling them up and trying to hang out with them all the time. That would seem weird. Right. You take your time to get to know them. Maybe you call them up a few weeks later and you say, hey, let's have coffee. And they say yes or no. And you don't get all brokenhearted if they don't want to. This is called making friends. And then you maybe ask them to something else and you establish a friendship over time. This isn't exactly the same in dating, but we could learn a lot about how to date better by thinking about that. How do you make friends? But like you said, though, for guys, that's the kiss of death. Well, we, we hear that word friends. And we're like, but here's what you say. Here's the answer to that. See, everybody, what happens is women throw that out. This is a little trick for your listeners. <laughs> this is a line to memorize. So when somebody, it happens to women too. Oh, I see you as friends. What you say is, that's great because the basis of any relationship is friendship. And I'm happy that we're at that place. Hmm. And you don't let them knock you off your pedestal, off your power. Because basically what's that, what that's doing is trying to emasculate you or defeminize you and say, I don't see you as sexual. And you hold your ground and you say, I think that's great that you want to be friends. And they're going to be shocked and reconsider you because you haven't fallen down, that they haven't put you in this category you don't want to be in. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. I'm glad we're in the friend zone because I uh, I expect to be friends with the person that I'm going to be with. Good. We're getting to that level. Hmm. What happens to people is they hear that and they collapse. Yeah. And you just stay in yourself and you go, good. I believe in friendship. Yeah. Like, I'm like, looking, like, I'm like looking as, for... As, as men, we're just programs. Like, once we hear that, to, to, to run. I know. So it's retooling yourself <laughs> to go, oh, I got a good line for that one. Hmm. Because basically it's women uh, cutting the guy's balls off in that moment. I don't mean that they're doing it intentionally. They're just saying no. And you go, okay, but I think it's a good sign. Because that's what I'm looking for. If that's what you're looking for. Hmm. I had a guy say that to me once. And I, I said that line to him, and he asked me out. Amazing. Because I didn't fall into the desexualized category. 
And we didn't end up working out, but at least I felt like I didn't get shut down. Yeah. I didn't, my self-esteem didn't go in the toilet. And that's like another thing about dating too, at least for me. Like after getting shot down a few times, it's just like, is this even worth it? Like even when I don't even, there were times where I wouldn't even want to get back up and do it again. I totally know that feeling. And that's why I hired a coach because (laughs) he would just send me back out there. Otherwise I would have just, you know, I would spend years not even trying to date. I'd be so shut down. It's like, I don't want to do that. I'll just hang out with my friends. I don't want to do that. Let's hang out with my friends. And then I'd try it again. So when I hired the coach, he just kept sending me back out. And that's the reason I persisted. And I think you can do that. You just hire a dating coach or you can, uh, you know, you can have a friend that you pal up with and you, you know, keep each other going. Although I did that with a friend, she immediately found somebody. So <laughs> that didn't really work. <laughs> didn't really work for me. But yeah, you need to, it's hard to stay motivated. It was hard for me as well. Yeah, because you keep getting shot down and it hurts every time. I wish there was a way to stop that though. Well, there is. And I talk about that in tantric dating, which is that you can reframe rejection for yourself. How do you do that? So we're, we're taught that rejection means I'm no good. Mm -hmm. And I, I use the example again of going to a networking event. If you, go to a networking event and you meet somebody and you really enjoy talking to them. And then you, uh, you call them up later and you say, you want to get together and they, they're too busy or they don't, they don't really want to. You don't get all destroyed from that. You're just like, that's how business works. And you start cultivating this attitude in dating, which is like, I'm going to have to probably meet a hundred people. I had to meet 150 people to meet my husband. I had 150 first dates. And, you know, at date number 87, I really felt bad about myself, but I kept going. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I learned to reframe rejection as, is it really saying anything about me? No. It doesn't really say anything about me. It just says it wasn't a connection. So I started feeling like, uh, it's not, it doesn't say anything about me. It just says this one didn't work out. This wasn't the one. And I'm going to keep going till I find the one. It, so the problem is we think it means something about us that someone else doesn't want to be with us. It's like it doesn't mean anything at all. It could mean that they're in a bad mood. could mean they only like, uh, they only like people who are from Botswana. They only want to marry someone who's like their mother mm. or their father. They might have a fixation. They might look good, but be completely mentally ill. I mean, there's so many things it could mean other than that there's something wrong with me. So we really need to reframe this idea that rejection says anything about me because it doesn't. It doesn't. Same thing that you meet someone at a a meetup. They don't particularly want to hang out with you. You're like, oh, it's not that means something wrong with me. It just means we didn't connect. Hmm. They didn't feel the same way about I did about them. That's okay. I accept that in that environment, but somehow we don't accept that in the dating environment. How do you know you've connected with somebody? Because earlier you talked about like any, we have the ability to love anybody by, you know, when we look into their eyes, we can fall in love with pretty much anyone. Yeah. But how do you know that you're falling in love with the right one? You got to test them and wait for, wait. 
So that's why you wait for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, because you have to wait. You have to, that's one reason I started dating more than one person at once, because I didn't want to get all involved with somebody who I don't know who they are yet. So you have to keep testing them and finding out, are they rude to the waiter? Mm -hmm. Are they gainfully employed? You know, I meet a lot of guys that say they're self-employed. It's like, "Mm, what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean? Are you contributing to the world in any way? Are you just sitting around and saying you want to be a writer someday? Or are you actually giving of yourself? Do you have any charities that you do? Do you have any uh, volunteer work? What's your relationship like with your family? Um, are you on a personal growth path at all? Because if you're not, it's not going to work for me. Um, are you financially solvent, not rich, but are you at least stable, financially stable? Um, are you capable of commitment? And that would show up in, have you committed to anything? Have you committed to a career or a pet or a, um, you know, if you, are you capable of commitment? Well, you'll have to test the person over the first three months to find out, is this a good person or is this person just look good? Hmm. Is this a good human being? And they will show that to you. There's one guy I was just crazy about. Now we went out and he started making fun of the waiter behind his back. I'm like, like trying to be funny. And I'm like, what kind of person? makes fun of a waiter behind their back. This is not a sign of good character. If he's going to make make fun of a waiter, he's going to make fun of me. I don't I can't be with that person. I don't care how hot I think they are. So you start seeing signs of what is not a good person and you have to no matter how much you're attracted to him, you have to go, that's not going to work for me. That's not going to create a relationship of trust, safety, respect, and I want that. Mm. I want really intimate and really great sex. And that's only going to come if we have great trust and we're both really working on ourselves to be the best people we can be. And I want a guy. It goes back to that trust thing. Yes. Can I trust this person with my secrets? Can I trust this person with my vulnerability? Can I trust this person with my emotions? What if a person makes a mistake? And breaks the trust. Did he get a second chance? It depends what it is, I think. You know, if they uh, slept with your sister, no. <laughs> but if they um, if they uh, take 100% responsibility and apologize, and, you know, it depends, I think, how the two of you work that out together. What are your thoughts on that? Well, nobody's perfect, you know. Like, like the cheating thing, absolutely. Uh, um, with, I'm done if somebody did that to me. Me too. Um, you know, like like me, like the mistakes I make, like leaving the toilet seat up. You know, I'm sort of I forget to put stuff back in the refrigerator, things like that. You know, or, or like some of the things that I probably do that would annoy another person. Um, and and I think for the trust and comes comes in is like in the beginning, like I said before, you try to be perfect. <laughs> You know, and I think when you're going from that that phrase where you're being perfect to being yourself can seem like deceiving. It can, and that's why um, that's why I want to make a uh, I want to have an expectation of myself that I'm going to show up as myself, and I'm going to reveal 
progressively more, but I'm not going to show up with a false front. Mm-hmm. And, and then in my relationship, as it progresses, I want to continue to show up as myself as, and that I'm continually striving to be my best self, but I'm also taking responsibility for where I'm not as great, where I'm still growing, where I make mistakes. I want to cop to it. I want to say that's, yeah, I'm working on that. And I truly am. And then all this will lead to six hours of sex. It can. It has for <laughs> us. It has for us. Because you just are so in the moment, mm-hmm. so meditative, so open. You're hiding nothing. And it just goes on and on and on. And it's very spiritual. And it's uh, completely a different category than just orgasm sex where you're just together, for tw- which is great, too. You know, 20 minute sex is great. I'm not saying it's not. It's not like we have six hour sex all the time, but it's like, um, it's like you just get to that mode where you're so close and so intimate that kind of the universe takes over and just carries you away, Hmm. carries you on and on and on, on this sort of orgasm. See, orgasm in regular sex, we've all seen those charts where it goes like this and then you come and then you, they call it the, the refractory period afterwards. Mm-hmm. But in tantric sex, you don't get to that high. You get to an orgasm that carries you along, and it can just last and last and last and last and last. It doesn't have to stop. I don't know how long it can go. We were tired after six or seven hours. I don't know how long it could go if you just kept going. Hmm. I don't think the point is how long you can go, but the point is, uh, you're just in this state of bliss that just keeps going because you didn't stop with an orgasm or for men with an ejaculation. So you can stay in this. Men can have orgasms also that last and last if they don't ejaculate. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean holding on tight and not coming. It just means we're going to relax. If we find ourselves getting a little too tense, we're just going to relax. We don't want to come yet. We'll just relax, get a little more meditative. We'll keep pleasuring each other. And this way it goes on and on because you know if you have an orgasm, it'll stop. Hmm. And you just don't want to stop. It's so delicious. So delicious. Why would you want to stop? I wouldn't. So, huh? (laughs) I wouldn't want to stop. (laughs) Exactly. So what we have found in our little laboratory of our relationship is that all these other things I'm telling you get in the way of having that kind of sex because... You don't want to keep being intimate with someone that you are mad at. You don't want to keep having sex with someone who's sarcastic to you. It's normal. It's not a, it's nothing wrong with you. It's just not an environment of trust that you want to get that close with that person. So you start where you are, which is by building more trust. And eventually you get to this place where we just want to hang out and be close. And we want to be closer and we want to be closer, and we want to express that through our bodies, and then this flow starts happening called tantric sex. That's beautiful. It's very beautiful. It sounds like, like a lot of it sounds like just like having all the channels open. Yes. That's kind of like what I mean. Like, like if if the communication's open, the trust is there, um, and, and you know everybody's you're both contributing, and or on the same page, if all that's in place, then you know when you when you take it to the bedroom, everything just moves along. Exactly. 
So we we talk about the seven chakras in mm-hmm. in tantra. So if if we have the first chakra, if we have trust and safety, second chakra, if we can share our emotions, third chakra, if we're both in our power and not trying to fight over who's right and wrong, the heart chakra, of course, means we're loving towards each other. The throat chakra means we can uh, communicate our truth. We're safe to communicate our truth. Then we have spiritual awareness. These two don't matter as much because if the bottom ones aren't together, then that really won't matter. So if we have all of those things together, then we can meet each other in a perfect soulmate relationship. Wow. That's great. That is awesome. It's wonderful. I hope everyone can have that. So if my little books can help anybody have that or my workshops, then that's kind of my mission here is like, I found it. It took me all my life to find it. And, um, I don't want other, if other, if I can save anybody any steps along the way, I would love to do that <laughs> because it's worth it. It's worth it. All that time and energy put in to have a perfect relationship. Everybody has that dream mm-hmm. to have the perfect relationship and we can create that. We don't have to just, you know, the movies tell us we have to wait that it'll come by magic. It's like, no, actually we're supposed to create that. By the personal and spiritual work we do on ourselves. So we become more loving. I had to become more loving. I had to keep my, you know, we have to uh, make myself a more trustworthy person. I used to be sarcastic like people are. And now I see that as very detrimental. I have to learn how to speak my truth because I never knew how to do that before. And all these things. So we keep working on it in our relationship where we're at. And as we make progress, you know, I'm working with some couples right now who are making very good progress. And as we make progress, it starts getting lighter, freer. One couple I was seeing, I started seeing them nine months ago. They weren't having sex. Now they're starting to have sex. And it's just great. They're making progress, t- talking about things. And then guess what happens? They start wanting to make love and wanting to spend more time together. So this works with couples that have been with together for a long time also and, you know, have the channels are not open, you know, they're not talking about their feelings, they're not trusting each other. So you can help couples like that go from that state to a state where everything's open and then are back to having great sex. You can definitely. It's going to be a lot of work, but anything worth having is worth working on. So, yes, couples can do that if they if they want it. If they're willing to do the work, they can start having sex again and they can create the kind of relationship that they've been dreaming of. Hmm. But it has to do in that case with a lot of that stuff that's been swept under the rug. We're going to have to peel the rug back and go, okay, remember that? <laughs> Let's talk that through. <laughs> so there might Let's be a lot of talking before there's sex. <laughs> there definitely is often a lot of talking before sex. Oh. So um, this was a great interview. I want to thank you for coming <laughs> yeah. on. And, you know, I mean, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you, find your books? I know you have some courses available. Yeah, you can find it all on my website, which is my name. You're going to have that in the notes below, right? Mm-hmm. I have it. It's myname.com. And um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm not super active on there, but I also have a very active YouTube channel. I have new videos every Thursday that can help you. Uh, about Tantra, relationships, all this kind of thing. So um, knock yourself out there. My books are all on Amazon. I have nine books now. Wow. So, um, <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> so hopefully something there will be of interest to you. 
All right. Well, I'll put the link to uh, your webpage and to your YouTube channel in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. And thank you so much for being on. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'd love that. Thanks a lot. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. So just hang on for one moment, and I just have to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. Love what you listen to today. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.